BBCC episode 85, my realization of the day. Butcher, baker, nightmare maker, I love my nephew. Auntie Cheryl, acting feral, coming to get you. Drink your milk, it'll be over quick. Hope your mother doesn't fuck you. Blah, this movie is the nastiest nursery rhyme I have ever seen. Time to take a hit and pass that spooky shit. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, a podcast very high on horror movies. I am your host, Devon Taylor, sitting not across from me. Um, he is uh, on the virtual space once again. It is my co-host, Garrett McDowell. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing well, Devon. You know, last week we proved that you and I can be on mentally the same wavelength a lot of the time. And oh, I'm, yeah. I'm determined to prove that once again, that even though we are many miles apart, uh, emotionally and mentally, I think we're we're in step. We're right with each other. Will that prove to be, uh, you know, proven wrong? Well, we'll I guess the rest of the episode will tell you. <laughs> that that will be uh, uh, the episode will tell because who knows? Because uh, once again, like I with each movie that we've chosen for this month, like I kind of go into it with one expectation, and then yeah. um and for uh you know uh, peek behind the curtain for listeners. I usually, uh, most of the time, I watch the movie, like, right before we record. Like, I, I take notes as I watch it, um, but I like to be pretty fresh about it. Um, yeah. So, like, just, like, kind of keep it fresh. So, I usually, so I never know how it's going to go until literally right before we record. And then it's like, oh, okay. So, then, you know, so I've kind of went in with each movie thinking... You know, it's like, especially with last week's episode, like, I was like, oh, we're talking Paranorman. It's going to be a light, fun episode. It's going to be <laughs> nice and chill. And then, man, <laughs> we got real deep into our feels and uh, uh, and just some big topics, which was amazing. Like, it was such a wonderful conversation. So I love, um, yes. it, you know, when our expectations uh, can be subverted by uh, some of the picks that uh, everybody shows. And what have you thought so far with uh, uh, our conversations thus far? Yeah, that would be an interesting way to top off each conversation. Like, what were the circumstances that you watched this movie? Because for me, this was last night, way later than it should have been. It was like 1230 when I hit play uh, and just was like, okay, we got to. I got the podcast tomorrow. And I got, okay, I got, you know, just like thinking of all this other stuff I've got going on, and I'm just like, okay, I gotta watch the movie. Trying my best to like, you know, scotch tape my eyelids open, not because of the movie, just because it was very late, very long day. But nonetheless, I am excited to be talking about it here today with you all. I mean, with the unhinged nature of Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, I think twelve thirty a late night is definitely <laughs> like the perfect vibes to be watching it. Um, yeah, for sure. Rather uh, than like the weird, probably like you know 1 a.m sh- or 1 p.m showing that you had that's like that's 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 wild yeah i mean i watched uh i, I did watch uh the joe bob edition uh last drive-in edition on shutter to uh spice it up a little bit and so that yeah. way i could also get in some of the background information i'm too lazy to google sometimes so i uh, nice. you know definitely got that in as well um but very excited because i do have to bring in the guest that chose the movie that we're talking about today he is one of the co-hosts of the scarred for life podcast and the creator behind gaylydreadful.com it is terry menard welcome to the show 
Welcome, hey, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here and talk about this movie that's, you know, kind of like Paranorman. It's about chosen families, right? <laughs> yes. Chosen <laughs> family by someone, that is. Um, yeah. It'll be super fun. Yeah, I'm so so excited to have you on. I've uh, been mean to have you on for quite a while since I had Mary Beth on um, about a year or so ago. And i um, very excited to get into it, and especially right now during Pride Month, because I love uh, what you do over at Gaily Dreadful uh, every Pride Month. Uh, the past, what, this is your fourth year fundraising uh, as doing uh, Gaily Helpful? Uh, y- yeah. Is it? Is I it? Think. I, it's my... <laughs> I think. <laughs> I've from, lost track. It's from what I counted. Third. I, can't, I can't honestly remember. <laughs> from what I counted, I believe is your fourth year. Oh, uh, my God. Uh, yeah. it, I am now your right. new bookkeeper for uh, the website. Uh, <laughs> archives by me <laughs> um but yeah it's a uh, super awesome how you uh do these uh this fundraising event you know releasing all these articles so uh, tell everybody about uh gaily helpful and kind of how you started doing it sure well it kind of started um where i was like hey it'd be kind of fun to get some like queer horror writers together to write about horror and maybe try to raise some money for the trevor project and the first year it, it went pretty well and we raised um a good number of money and then um we just sort of like have increased it every year where we're like we pick a charity the last two years has been um the trans law center uh simply because of all the anti-trans bills that have been going around and all of the kind of general yeah ickiness surrounding trans rights so we, we figured we would focus on on those and and do a bunch of article releases so on my site we have at least one article a day sometimes two uh from a queer writer that's talking about film and then we're also doing uh, the fundraiser. Bravo, bravo! Yeah, I love, I love it. Um, it's going uh, very well so far, um, from what I saw um, on the the goal status so far. And um, you know, it was so fun getting to uh, help out a little bit with uh, the um, uh, beauty of horror uh, collaboration that you yeah. guys did. Um, so it was super fun to get to contribute uh, in that way and many of previous guests on the show are um, have articles on there so definitely make sure you guys are going and uh, mm-hmm. checking out all the wonderful articles that are being released and uh, donate if you are able to I will have um, a link to that in the show notes uh, it, it's super fantastic guys Garrett you looked like you were about to say something couldn't tell Oh no! I'm just nodding along. Yes, that's one of the very, uh, the very great things about uh, months like this, as well as Black History Month, is the, uh, the way that different creators and and writers and podcasters, pundits, all those kind of things, are able to use this month to uh, kind of signal boost a lot of these programs and these uh, fundraising events that are going on to 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 help the very people that these months are 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 there for and are and are designed for. So. Uh, yeah, thanks, man, for all the like the excellent work that you're doing, Terry. And um, yeah, be sure to uh, check out all of the links in the description and, you know, help where you can. Yes, it is uh, definitely all about us uh, signal boosting and, um, you know, helping things out. It's not all about the SEO, but it does help, um, <laughs> especially that they did do uh, this movie on the last drive and not too long ago. So people have been talking about it. So let's go ahead and get into the movie for today's episode. <laughs> Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, released November 20th, 1981, was directed by William Asher. Um, It is also formally known as Night Warning. It was released as Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, then they re-released it as Night Warning, and then they re-released it again as Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. 
Um, William Asher had a background uh, directing episodes of I Love Lucy and the creator of Bewitched. Um, and this had um, a few writers on as this is a somewhat adaptation of Oedipus the King um, in a slasher um, exploitation type of form. Um, at least that's what Stephen Brimer was going for. Um, he uh, was adopted, so this uh, kind of uh, was spawned from that. And then he also had um, Alan J. Gluckman and Boone Collins um, helping out with the writing as well. Heavily inspired by uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. Um, the movie had a different director at first, uh, Michael Miller, um, who was fired for uh, not filming fast enough. Uh, things were going too slow. Um, but um, Miller and his cinematographer, uh, Jean DeBont, uh, who would go on to direct Speed and Twister, um, they shot that car crash opening, um, so you could kind of see some of the craft behind that, and they saw that and said, yeah, this is good, but it took too long, so we're going to uh, get a, a TV director in that knows how to work quickly and uh, kind of snap it up a little bit, but I think mm-hmm. Asher coming in definitely helped the tone out quite a bit. Um, could not find the box office information on this one, but it does have a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes on 12 reviews and a letterbox average rating of 3.4 out of 5 stars. Uh, Terry, what made you want to talk about this movie today? Uh, well, I do think this movie kind of gets overlooked in terms of a lot of the 80s films that have you know queer either subtext or text in them. Uh, I kind of chose this one because uh, for once the queerness isn't subtext. I think when you look at a lot of the films in the 80s, a lot of the, the gay vibes or the kind of uh, queerness is relegated to kind of the subtext and they're portrayed as the villains. Whereas here it's sort of, it's basically text. There's queer characters. And unlike a lot of the movies we see, um, it actually kind of subverts the heteronormativity aspect and the erasure of queerness in favor for heteronormativity and kind of makes the queer, the queer characters sympathetic. Um, it's not about erasing queerness, but it puts the viewers in their shoes uh, by putting kind of a homicidal police chief as one of the villains. And I think that's something that's really kind of revelatory for a movie from mm-hmm. in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, especially for today um, with, uh, you know, again, having one of those movies that is a little bit more relevant today. And um, it's a, even a little bit more sad on this one because, you know, uh, last episode, it was 10 years later for Paranorman. But this is mm-hmm. 40 years later for this movie and for it to still have that relevance is uh, not bode well for our current state. Um, Garrett, was this your first time watching the film? This was not only my first time watching of the film, I had no idea what this movie was. Uh, Maybe that is perhaps due to the fact that this film has had a bit of an identity crisis as far as like the title is concerned. So maybe that's been like, is it it The Night Warning? Is it Butcher? I'm I'm looking for it on Prime. What am I looking for? Maybe it's something like that. But regardless, when this movie was suggested, I wasn't really sure what we were diving into here. And then after all is said and done and the credits begin to roll, I was very uh, enthusiastic for the conversation that we were going to be having today Uh, and kind of the weird oddity that is this movie uh uh, first and foremost the 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 direction of the film kind of has this tv movie quality to it which although does kind of butt heads with maybe the scope of the film it's got this odd like you have somebody who is kind of the a journeyman like of of sorts Mm -hmm. kind of a hired gun who has this background in television who brings this like 
like strange macabre sort of sitcom-y feel to things at times, which just like mm-hmm. matches kind of weird with the tone and the the subject matter of the film. But it also just really reminded me of what we were going to be talking about, what we talked about last week and this idea of subtext versus text and the frustrations that we can come across when we are just consistently finding these these ideas and these themes to be addressed in a way that you kind of have to read between the lines and it's just not overtly stated. So to see a film like you had said that is, you know, uh, decades old versus Paranorman, which is, you know, uh, a few years ago um, (laughs) to see a film that does just head on address some of these uh, these ideas and these issues, but the way in which it uh, uh, commentates on these issues, I think that's where the subtext is. And what is this film trying to say? And what are the uh, the the uh, the imagery that it implements and the storytelling that it implements to offer a commentary on this idea and on this theme? And that is the subtext rather than the subject matter being the subtext. That yes. was just really fascinating for me. But it's all under the guise of this incestual mommy issue like kind of slasher mystery but not mystery it's i just found it really really fascinating and i was just very surprised that this film is maybe not as uh uh, sought after or or applauded by by horror fans even though there are definitely some issues that we're going to be talking about no doubt uh i found myself very pleasantly surprised by this movie yeah i mean this was a a very good it it was a (laughs) It was a not good time, but good time because like uh, yeah. I wasn't sure on like, you know, what kind of horror movie this was going to be. Um, You know, I kind of uh, assumed it was a slasher of some sort, like uh, one of those, you know, early 80s proto slashers that were just like kind of coming out a bunch. And I thought yeah. it was kind of going to be one of those. And it's not that. I mean, it has some sla- it definitely has slasher elements in it. Um, But yeah, so like definitely not knowing what it truly is going for. And then, yeah, not knowing what, uh, you know, what they were going to do with the queer elements of it. And, yeah, it's very fascinating because the queer, you know, story of it all is not the main part of the story. And the queerness isn't like the conflict. Like there's not a character in the movie that is battling with queerness, um, yeah. you know, like it, you know, typically is in movies. It's like, no, there's a, there is a very defined queer character. Um, there's another, you know, the victim turns out to be queer as well. And then, you know, and then when they're, everybody's like accusing Billy of being queer, he never like pushes back on it or like gets defensive about it because like, that's not what he's struggling with right now. He's struggling with dealing with the bullshit of his crazy aunt, you know, that is, you know, just absolutely creepy and disgusting. Um, and it, which kind of goes towards the queer subtext of it all of like, Billy is just trying to live a normal life. And has mm-hmm. this like kind of crazy stuff, and like that's queer people also. They're also just trying to live a normal life, and then you know, people like to make it difficult for them by you know ch- trying to change their narrative, mm-hmm. and then that's kind of where it comes in more than again like the queerness being the the uh, the the conflict itself, which is super refreshing. And like it, it wasn't what I was expecting. The tone of this film, um, yeah, like is uh super fun like um you know everybody is on board with like the tone and the performances that they're giving um oh yeah and and it was um you know very refreshing in that way and uh you know and even though i loved the actiony portion of that car crash opening i kind of thought like okay maybe this is gonna be a little bit more serious than i thought it was gonna be 
um Mm -hmm. and then we kind of shift into like what the actual tone is i feel like it still worked out better for the movie in its favor as far as like the exploitation uh vibes of it all as well so Mm -hmm. um there's a there's a lot of things happening in this movie and we're gonna (laughs) dive into it so terry are you ready to give us your 60 second synopsis Uh, i'm gonna try all right let me get you 60 seconds on the clock in three two one go all right, so this is the story about Billy, whose parents were Final Destination 2'd 22 years before the movie, mm-hmm. and he's been living with his aunt Cheryl for 14 years since. He's now 17, he wants to leave and go to college, but Cheryl, his aunt, has developed a psychosexual relationship with him and the dead body in her, rela- in her inner basement of a former lover. Uh, when a TV repairman comes by, she sees it as a way of convincing Billy, Billy he needs to stay, so she kills him and then says that he tried to rape her. Um, of course, it turns out the repairman is gay and is in a relationship with Billy's coach. And so the cops now think Billy killed him in a lover squabble and that Cheryl is covering for him. And Billy must then fight off his bigoted teammates, an incredibly bigoted cop, and his aunt, who has actually his mother, who has unwanted advances toward him. All right. Is that all? Is that all that happened? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is definitely a a great uh, VHS box summary of it, of of the film, (laughs) Uh, because like the way that things just like keep like hitting you with whiplash here, it's like, I almost want to put this in erotic thriller territory except mm. it's i wouldn't call it erotic because it's not eroticism that anybody wants um yeah. to see on screen so it's like i i don't put it in that in that subgenre category but um i i that is kind of where i wanted to start off is, is like kind of where do you categorize this film coming mean, obviously like the identity crisis within its title is one thing but then um you know when you try to sell this film to somebody like how do you describe it you know like is it it has some coming of age elements. It has some exploitation elements, has some slasher elements, but like, it's also, I don't know. It's very hard to describe. What would you, what would you say, Terry? Ooh. Uh, So I I think it does have an identity crisis probably because it was written by three different people. um, And it was based on a story of two of them and then written by three people. And whenever you get multiple people writing um, a script, sometimes we'll, take on different tones because someone will want to do something different than the other people. And so I do think that this movie, uh, I mean, it's a happy accident because I think it actually works really well for it, but I do think it kind of careens from subgenre to subgenre. We have a little bit of a, of a police procedural in it mm-hmm. that kind of gets subverted. Uh, it turns into a slasher at the end. Uh, I think most of the film, I think you could qualify it as a psychological or a psychosexual even thriller. Um, mm-hmm. erotic thriller even though it's not erotic but it does definitely uh, pull As, from that genre I would yeah. say especially of like the twistiness of erotic mm-hmm. thrillers because I like that's been a subgenre I've been trying to do some catch up on um, this uh, past year and you guys did that on your uh, mini cuts uh, for Scarf yep. for Life for a little bit as well um, so you guys gave me uh, some to have on my list uh, what about you Garrett how do you how do you pin down this movie I'm just trying to think if I was to recommend this to somebody and be like, hey, you can catch this on Shutter," And they're like, okay, what is it? Like, I could dive into essentially what you did with the 60 second synopsis. And then I would just I feel like they would just glaze over and be like, it's 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 what, you know, like it's it's a lot. It's a lot to to unpack here. And and aside from just like diving into some of the deeper ideas here, this might be one of those movies that is just kind of better knowing very little because like I did, I knew nothing going into this. And aside from the the title of the film which we can definitely 
talk about here because that's kind of a, an oddity in and of itself. And the poster of this movie, I kind of went in with zero expectations of even the tone of this movie. So I was just so pleasantly uh, surprised in a way of just being able to go on on the journey of this film and then the kind of the tone of this movie. I think I was expecting something maybe a little bit more tongue in cheek, just maybe by the, the title of the film. But it is does have those psychosexual kind of uh, uh, tones to it. It's not really a slasher really uh, at all. You know, she's not like when I think of slasher, I wouldn't think of her in this way. I think saying something of like, it's like whatever, uh, whatever happened to baby Jane, but with moms, but then also with like homosexual undertones to me, that is probably the quickest way that you can describe this movie. We'll obviously be coming back to that idea with, with movie math, but I think in, in describing this film or recommending it to somebody um, who who hasn't seen this film? I th- I would say less is more with this one. Yeah, I mean it's like with with campy films, it's like you usually go one of two routes because the camp is used to either uh, exaggerate the jokes of it, you know, with yeah. it being tongue in cheek, and then like you know to like kind of uh, exaggerate it to this cartoonish level. But then I feel like camp can also work in a film and not and that people don't do it as often because it's probably harder to pull off. But like mm-hmm. this movie being like uh, Terry described a happy little accident that it is somehow pulls off that camp ability to um, play something as camp in like certain ways as far as like the performances and stuff. But, For you sure. know, with everything else being very straight forward and serious like the story Mm -hmm. is not meant to be you know like funny or like giggly like it's like like it's very upsetting in a way the way that it's portrayed um especially with like the the cop being as homophobic as he is um it's it's still everything else is still played very straight but even him playing this like you know very vile villain um you know him his performance and um and uh susan tyrell you know their big performances just like kind of amplify you know the very serious nature of like what's going on um into a just like kind of it it just makes you feel off kilter you know it just kind of has you on that edge of your seat like um all right i really don't know what's going to happen in this movie in the next five minutes kind of thing and like something could happen that changes the entire direction of the film and you like don't even see it coming well, it kind of reminds me of the conversation that you and I had had, Devon, when we were talking about the the first uh, Slumber Party Massacre movie. And there's like a pretty intense sexual assault scene towards the end of the film. And it really is this right turn to where you're like, OK, now you're dealing with subject matter that deserves a lot of maturity and deserves like or, and kind of comes with this serious more somber tone and when you pair that with this fun teeny bopper 80s popcorn slasher flick it doesn't really work so i think from the outset of this film dealing with themes of homosexuality there also is an early scene of sexual assault it really lays it out pretty early on that although this this uh this film definitely does have elements of 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 camp to it particularly in regards to the performances of this film but it mostly plays it pretty straight down the middle to where it is not this 80s kind of slasher movie because i think if you were to chalk it up as that and describe this and saying like oh yeah it's an 80s slasher movie i would not be thinking of this film i don't know if that's necessarily like a super accurate depiction of it even though there is some slashing going on here i mean i I do think that it's sort of like the the creation of a slasher in a way because by the end of the movie she is just gone full miss Voorhees camp Mm -hmm. uh by the Mm -hmm. end of by the end of this film and the the whole film is, if you look at it from her perspective, is just a, a very 
slow devolution of like her sanity unraveling as she goes from Mm -hmm. realizing that she's going to lose the one man in her life that she loves creepy as it is Mm -hmm. uh and she realizes that she's just going to be alone and she's had this kid for 14 years that she's been kind of let's be honest trying to groom (laughs) yeah uh and by the end of it you know she's she's chopped off her hair, which is always in cinema. It's always something serious is going to happen, whether it's like someone's going through a crisis or someone is ready to go kick some ass. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're cutting off your hair. That means something when a, when a female character in a movie does that. And then by the end of it, she is just embraced the lunacy and is walking around with the machete she found somewhere. And then a hatchet trying to kill people. Like it's, 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 it's a slasher. I would say that it ends up as a slasher from the perspective of Miss Voorhees slowly going insane. Yeah, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. this is as much of a slasher as something like The Shining is, you know, yeah. to where it's like, sure. yeah, they've got a sharp weapon and they're killing people. But it, to me, that's like that's that's one of the many ways that you could categorize this movie. But it wouldn't it wouldn't necessarily be at the forefront for me. Yeah, I mean, for some reason, why I think of slashers, I always think of them as the ones that the way I kind of differentiate them between just like a slasher and just like a movie that has a killer in it is like, okay, is this slasher have like the, the, the iconography that's going to carry them into like, you know, a franchise. And, and it, even though Auntie Cheryl is very, uh, you know, charismatic and very uh, memorable, um, it mm-hmm. definitely not, uh, would not see, you know, the, butcher baker nightmare maker franchise kicking off even though the title sounds like it would be but it's not um you know yeah so um i don't know it's the you know because this movie you know when you the when you explain out like the story of it all because like that is i think the the more fun thing on this like in more so than uh, some of the character stuff which the character stuff is also great but um you know because it starts off like it you know fairly normal ish um, but then like as it just like kind of unravels it just gets more unhinged as it kind of goes along like you know with um, Tyrell's performance you know um, as she kind of camps it up uh, throughout the film yeah. um, but it, it also is like a testament to you know like the suspicion of the detective you know so it's like the the it, you know so auntie auntie Cheryl she wants some dick real bad and so she convinces the TV repair guy to come over um, who does not uh, want to sleep with her. And then it leads her to like kind of, you know, per- antagonize him. And then um, it ends up with her killing him. And then, you know, uh, Billy comes in and sees it. And then she says that it was like a rape thing. So that way she can um, as her first attempt to, you know, keep Billy in town so he doesn't take his basketball scholarship. But I love how, you know, it's like that when you assume it isn't that out crazy out of the realm of possibility but yet the detective formulates his own story of this homosexual love like love triangle and you know i love that he goes through like so many more hoops to convince himself that is like no because the tv guy was gay so that means billy must have been having an affair because he was so close to the basketball coach who is also gay and it's like bro like you are doing so much extra work when the more logical you know thing is like kind of right there in front of you so the Mm -hmm. way that um the story kind of uses that to play out throughout the film makes for like a fun experience but also like makes sense for like again like uh just putting these narratives on queer people yeah and it also i think provides some depth for the film because you know 
for 1981, uh, nothing to sneeze at here. This movie is saying ACAB and gay rights, like <laughs> pretty yeah. loudly, in fact. Uh, and the fact that I, I you're, you're talking about that early scene there, I, I really like this kind of subversion of expectations to where you have the TV repair guy, which like I can't think of a more cliche kind of like porn setup rather than mm-hmm. maybe the pizza guy or the pool guy. Sure. You know, you take this kind of character archetype and have them be uh, an avenue for you to approach this idea and 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 have this discussion of of uh, heteronormativity and and all of these uh, various themes that this film is dealing with. Again, I just was I I think that's the the word of the day for me as far as this film is concerned. Is I was just I was surprised, uh, you know. Well, I think the movie does a lot of a lot of really smart things. I think the script is actually surprisingly smart, but I also think the casting is really smart because mm-hmm. they they hired uh, Bo Svensson. Uh, to be the cop, to be Carlson, the bigoted cop. And it's it's important because back in the, um, I think it was like the 70s and then into early 80s, he was he was taking on the role of uh, Buford Pusser in Walking Tall, in the Walking Tall series part two and the final mm-hmm. chapter in the TV show. And Buford Pusser was a real person who was um, a sheriff of uh, McNary County in Tennessee. And he was the one that was like, you know, walk tall and carry a big stick he, he had like this big bat and he kind of took a one-man war on on all the ills of society moonshining prostitution gambling and other vices so like he was this this big time sheriff that you know whipped his town up and got rid of all the deviants and so you and he was portrayed by both Benson in some of those movies and in the tv show adaptation and so you have walking into this this character that is kind of a continuation of that character but kind of pointing at the the foibles of it and, and mm-hmm. how bad that could be because all he is focused on is i got to clean up these deviants deviants is anyone that is let's be honest mm-hmm. non-white or non uh you know hetero because at one point he even has like um i believe some mexican descent who is in and he brings him into the police office and makes him sit on the floor and takes out his gun and is asking where he's really from like yeah. there is this guy is he's a bad dude and he throws the f word around like so much and i think that because of the fact that you would pick someone that was portraying this american hero sheriff that cleaned up town by himself i i think it's such a Mm -hmm. an interesting an interesting uh way to use that character that person the actor and the casting goes, you know, as well for Billy also. Uh, Jimmy McNichol was, you know, this uh, teen idol at the time. And it was, you know, funny enough that a couple of years before, like he had been releasing music with his sister and with some of the uh, titles and the pronouns that are used throughout like the song's lyrics. People were kind of having these like questions about Jimmy McNichol uh, in a way which I find fascinating. So it's like also throwing that in. You know, with, um, you know, as far as uh, questioning his sexuality and involvement with a family member, uh, the way that that comes up in this film also um, with the casting is uh, I find very fascinating. And, and with Detective Carlson, like, I I love what they do with, like, I mean, if you're going to make someone like, you know, this, you know, racist and homophobic, like in a movie, my thing is, like, go go all out on it because, like... You know, for for me, uh, for as uh, many racial slurs as I've heard over um, my my time, um, the 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 more outlandish it gets, the the more just like comical it sounds to me. 
So it's like, I love that, you know, like they take Detective Carlson. They're like, okay, if like we're going to make him a scumbag, like we are going to make him the biggest scumbag, including like, you know, like, oh, I don't have time to listen to my partner who has a reasonable and rational uh, theory. No, I have to focus on being extremely racist to this Mexican guy right now. This is very important to me. Like, so it's like he is a comical level of racist bigot in this film. And uh, and I don't think, like you said, like the, the casting of it is um, any any mistake. Yeah, there is this clear kind of generational conversation that this movie is having of like the old way uh, being ushered out by the new way uh, and how that kind of idea of, of, of growth and change isn't necessarily a bad thing where you have this old timey detective who is trying to do his best Humphrey Bogart of like, let me follow my hunch, you know, and it's just like or she stabbed the guy. That's also a possibility, you know? Well, and I, he... I love, I love they had Sergeant cook. That is, mm-hmm. he's literally doing the police work. You know, he's doing the real investigative yeah. work. He comes <laughs> up with like a yeah. tragic story about Billy's parents, figures out the brakes are tampered with, finds out information about Cheryl's one time lover who just simply vanished. Like he's doing the mm-hmm. actual police work and coming up with what really is going on. Yeah. But because of bigotry, the dude is like, no, this is deviance. This is homosexuality. And I must root it out and murder them. Like, yeah. He- I mean, if you, if you really want to get like super deep into it, this idea of bigotry and fear completely blinding you to what the actual problem is Logic. and what an actual 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 solution could be and you're more often focused on this because of the hate that you have i mean that's definitely something very prevalent that we see in a lot of society today where it's like we have this real world problem that is there mm-hmm you deciding that it's because of this group of people is not only misguided, but it's just flat out wrong. And it's just, it's just cause you're a hateful person rather than, I don't know, maybe she stabbed the guy. Like, <laughs> I mean, again, it's like the comical timing of it because it becomes this like recurring bit. Like, you know, he tells cook like, Oh my God, you seem tired from doing all this actual work. Please go take a day off or two. Like, like yeah. he's so just like ridiculous on, mm-hmm. you know, set in, like you said, like on his ways, like rather than, you know, conducting an investigation. No, he's too busy on the streets, cracking skulls and coming up with theories, you know, uh, on yeah. his own that, you know, again, at the end of the day lead to his ultimate demise you know with billy shooting him you know not because billy needed to at the end of the film um he definitely could have easily have walked him down into the basement and been like see look here's the dead body of that one guy that my aunt cheryl killed no he just he said no fuck it i'm just gonna kill him and you know what we were like yes and we all clap at that moment because we're all that uh, literally fuck you you just bigot <laughs> Yeah, well, well, you also have the familial angle of this film as well of being afraid of going back to that generational kind of fear of change. And she's afraid that, you know, because of the the talent that this kid has, it's going to take him to school where he's going to learn things and he's going to meet new people and he's going to go places to where she's just kind of stuck at home. And I think that that's uh, a, a fear that 
I just found really compelling. And this idea of, of parents and having that anxiety and, and that fear of the, the bird leaving the nest, so to speak. And how does somebody act on that? Not only does the film explore that pretty explicitly through ideas, but then also through imagery of her using milk and drugging that, which like the mother's milk kind of idea, using that as a weapon, I found to be really compelling. Uh, that idea of, of milk comes back uh, a few times because it also makes the kid like impotent at one point <laughs> he's got like performance issues because of milk like it's 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 just an idea that continues to come up uh, come up in this film and like i said this film has this really nice quality about it to where yes these ideas are clearly stated but then it also goes a little bit further in some ways that are a little bit less obvious too well i also think the ultimate irony is, is that while the you know carlson is looking for what he considers sexual deviancy he's completely blind to the actual sexual mm -hmm. deviancy going on which yeah. is aunt cheryl mother cheryl and her obsession with her with her son like it that and i, I think that that is one of those kind of it, it makes me laugh sort of like in the way the dramatic irony does where it's like you know you you could be solving this case and finding actual deviancy but no you yeah. are focused on something that's not really there i mean there mm -hmm. was the scene where he's literally you know questioning billy right after this happens and he's so focused already on trying to question billy while she is stroking and rubbing her face <laughs> on billy's arm like she's like rubbing him yeah. like a cat and he is just not even paying attention to that whatsoever um and it, that's the thing like so with with auntie cheryl i'm not yeah i'm not calling her his mother that's because no she doesn't she doesn't get that from me damn it uh auntie yeah. auntie cheryl is uh gross and and the thing is i i i'm i wish i could have gotten like if that's like one like nitpick i'd have of this film is like uh is i wanted to feel that that com that compelled uh, compulsion that you felt um you know for her um, as far as like, you know, because like I just saw her as like she was creepy from the get go, like literally three year old Billy was crying when like his parents drove off because like mm -hmm. already signaling us like now nah, she's she's not right. And then like literally the second time that we see her is whenever she's like climbing in bed with him already. So it's like and yeah. purring. What is up with the, the cat motif? Like she's purring and, and scratching him. She and purred. then later on, she the like forest, snarls later. Yeah, and she's like when she's chasing after Julie, there's like meows happening in the forest. Like, what is going on here? Yeah, yeah, it's definitely like, uh, and and Susan Tyrell, the the actress behind uh, Auntie uh, Auntie Cheryl, is as Devon put it, she is just sending it. Like, I don't, I feel like that could be a point <laughs> oh. of contention for this movie because she is like at eleven uh, for most of the film. And I don't know, like, I'm kind of undecided if I if I liked it or not, because I think it actually adds a lot of flavor to the film is the fact that she is like full on acting, you know, the entire movie. She has like no subtlety to her performance, like really at all. And even from like the get go, you're like, oh, that lady's trouble. And then by the end of this movie, she is like rubbing all like you said, like a cat where she is, you know, trying to kiss Billy and everything. It's just so in your face. And I don't know. I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I like the little the little cumin, the little cayenne pepper of, oh, of uh, Cheryl Roberts oh, in this it. movie. This is this is like Nick Cage level genius performance right here um she yeah. she had already been nominated for an oscar before doing this movie like she's she's no joke 
Um, and it, I mean, yeah, like everything that she's doing, like with, uh, the, the changing of her voice, you know, like the way that she yells at Billy, like so very mm-hmm. specifically, like, and, mm-hmm. and, uh, in everything that she's doing with her eyes and her face, like, uh, and she's, I mean, she's literally using everything in her repertoire, like physically her voice, her performance, yeah. just like, uh, the emotion that she's putting in. I mean, we really see. Like if you, I want to like there. I needed some before and after like memes of like because like beginning a movie like Auntie Cheryl like Loki kind of can get it like not gonna lie she's kind of <laughs> cute, um but then like when you see her at the end after she chops off her hair she's covered in sweat and mud from being outside and like and blood and her tit her half her tits are hanging out and she just has this crazy look in her eye it's like it she looks like a completely different human at the end of the movie like mm-hmm. so like everything that she's doing performance wise is like just it's a chef's kiss like it's when perfection I think you can i think you can kind of see that too in in the early scene where he where billy says he wants to go to college and she's basically trying to neg him into not going to college where she and you can see sort of the way that her her physicality and the way that her voice changes while she's trying to convince Mm -hmm. him to stay where it's like you've got i've got a job lined up for you next year you know so you don't need to go to college and then she's like we're going to fix up the 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 attic room so you have a place to stay and then she's like no college is for rich kids with brains you wouldn't fit in there and then it's we can't afford it all we have is mommy's house and then it's it turns even more angry she's like i have sacrificed 14 years and everything for you mm-hmm. and then it's you're the man of the house you are not leaving and then he's like i'm leaving and then she slaps him so like the the escalation in this one conversation from being like you know oh, like you six know, different gotta, tactics <laughs> right it's like oh i got stuff lined up for you you know the kind of caring mother figure to like no you are staying here and i'm gonna slap the shit out of you like it's just it's such an escalation that I think that kind of zaniness adds to this movie. I don't think this movie would be anywhere near as exciting if it weren't for the fact that we have Susan Tyrell in it. Absolutely. And I'm also just, I'm, I, I was, the, the end of the film doesn't offer any answers, but uh, I love that one as a basketball fan, there's a basketball scene in the movie, uh, a terrible basketball scene, by the way, uh, the athleticism on display, atrocious, just the worst, no D at all, well, uh, just completely blows right by him. But I want to know, because at the end of the movie, it says that Billy and Julie are attending college together. I don't know if he's playing ball there. Did he get that scholarship or did he just get on grades alone? I need to know. Honestly, I think he probably did. Um, because I'll say the the basketball practice scene was very laughable. Like the basketball oh, yeah. practice scrimmage, that was I was like, okay, like this is silly. The actual game before Billy gets dizzy and starts getting sick, he actually puts up a solid stat line. He had like oh eight, for sure. He had like eight points. He had three steals. He had some rebounds. He had assists. Yep. He literally yep. <laughs> was filling up the stat sheet in that first quarter. So I mean, yeah, like, he, he said that scouts in the crowd tonight. <laughs> I'm I'm putting on a clinic. Yeah, he was probably set for a, a triple double. One oh. of his teammates, by the way, uh, Eddie, portrayed by Bill Paxton. That was great to see him. A young Bill Paxton. That was that was really great. But yeah, uh, I don't know, uh, t- Terry. Do you think I don't like he's he's off to school? Is he playing ball? You know, or is he a bench warmer? Is he not on the team at all? I just I have to know. It's one of the big mysteries of the movie. <laughs> No, no sports ball at all. So I, no, I, have, I have nothing that I can contribute to that part of the conversation. Yes, he was an amazing player and he got on the team. That's and, right. That's and, right. Yeah. Shout out Bill Paxton, which yeah. I mean, because I love even him being homophobic. He's still too likable. 
Like, and it's it, he has this delivery that I just love. Like, it's his like his Bill Paxton thing, and mm-hmm. I just I love it. And he, I think he has the best um, villainous chew of uh, any actor. Like the way he eats things. Like he was just chewing gum, and the way he does it, I'm like, oh, yeah, God, Bill Paxton, so so good. Um, I was really glad that the film didn't have uh, one of my least favorite tropes in movies and TV shows, and it happens a lot nowadays, of having the homophobic bully character just be secretly, closetly yeah. gay. I'm so glad this movie didn't have that because I thought it was going to happen where, you know, there's a scene where, you know, Bill Paxton tries to go in for a kiss or something like that. I was so glad the movie avoided that. And he's just, he's just a bigot and he just sucks and people can suck sometimes. They don't need to be like secretly, closetly gay. They can just be the worst. Um, I'm glad the movie adhered to that. <laughs> well, I think it's also kind of revolutionary too with Billy's character because um, I mean, you know, I think maybe some people could say, well, maybe he's bi, but like mm-hmm. he, he seems like a straight character. There's no questioning of his own sexuality in there. He yeah. just is standing up for what he thinks is right. You know, there's, mm-hmm. I, I love, there's like a scene that is, I, again, quietly revolutionary where he is standing in front of the coach and he is shirtless and, you know, it's not like I have to cover myself up because the coach is gay. Like, you know, he's standing totally. there talking with the coach mm-hmm. and he's saying that, you know, uh, you know, the cop came by and told my mom that you're gay and like having this kind of conversation, basically asking him how he's doing and just mm-hmm. genuinely cares for this this man. And by the end of the movie, it's him standing up for mm-hmm. for the coach that ends up getting the, the cop shot. And I think that that is amazing that we have a person that is not questioning sexuality like he he's with this girl he wants to go to school with this girl he seems like he's absolutely in love with her and here he is standing up for a gay person yeah i mean i think it's I think it's like more like you said, like I, I I never got any vibes that like maybe he's bi or anything like, no, he comes off pretty straight for me. But like you said, like, I mean, this is like allyship, like, you know, he just mm-hmm. see, he sees something, you know, someone being done wrong, you know, for the wrong reasons. And he's there. And like and like I said earlier, like throughout the film, like no matter like any time that somebody's accusing him of being gay or anything, he's never uh, defends it. He never like no. is like uh, uh, gets defensive about it. Um, he never really says anything about it at all, even when his own girlfriend, um, you know, like because the cop, you know, detective got in her head and she even was like, well, you know, we haven't been having sex as like as often. And then like he, he still like doesn't like, you know, let that, you know, get to him because that's not what it's about and like not what he feels. But what he just feels is like, you know, I want to make sure that like, you know, the right thing is being done. And I know it's, you know, that I'm not the killer. Um, so yeah, it is, uh, the, the portrayal of Billy, very, very, very interesting. And, um, because he's played, you know, very, very earnestly, like very straightforward. Um, you know, he is the grounded one, um, as you know, um, detective Carlson and auntie Cheryl take turns eating the scenery. He's like, I'm a, I'm okay with my smoothie over here. You know, I'm a, I'm gonna do a thing. And he, and he, and he anchors uh, the ship really well. Yeah, and I also was just really uh, pleased to see uh, the performance or the the, the portrayal of uh, the coach, Coach Tom, yes. uh, that he is just this kind of just he just he's portrayed as just a normal guy. Uh, and there are scenes where him and Billy are together. And like you said, Billy is shirtless and they don't portray him as like this leering pervert. No. He's just a person, you know, mm-hmm. he's a person uh, and his partner was killed. And he's instead of being portrayed in this weird, uh, uh, you know, sexual deviant kind of way, he actually is a hero and he has like a big hero moment in the film. I was just so, again, surprised by that portrayal of this because this isn't a time to where 
the if you would have you know uh, told me that this film has like certain gay characters in there wouldn't have said if it was good or bad i would have assumed that it probably would have been pretty uh, problematic but i was just so proud to see that in this film its portrayal of these characters isn't sensationalized or it's just kind of it's more naturalistic they're just people and this terrible thing happens to them uh but they're not portrayed in a way that they're like a a disease and even um uh, aunt cheryl says that uh, homosexuals are very very sick and it's like you're one to talk lady like <laughs> what are you yeah. what are you talking about like you're m- murdering multiple people in this movie it's talking about sickness like you're out of your mind <laughs> well even at that point billy stands up and says coach landers is not sick like he he stands up for this man mm-hmm. and even mm-hmm. against his his family and i think yeah I think that that's really great. Like I, I love seeing watching this again. I just, I love watching this, this character kind of not back down and kind of stick up, stick to his, his, his moral rights of like, no, that you're, what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing to, uh, to my coach is wrong. How you are portraying this world is wrong. Like I just, it's, I just, I love seeing it. And I love watching it again. Yeah. yeah and I, 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 there was something about this film that I personally related to, um, especially because I, the, 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 the sheriff in this film mentions that Billy is someone who was raised just around females. He didn't have a father yeah. figure present. And there's this idea as myself who like, yeah, my, my dad is totally in the picture, but I lived with my mom and my sister all of my life. And this idea that, oh, that's a, a one way ticket to being gay. Uh, mm-hmm. And this idea that's just like, no, or I was just raised by my aunt, you know, like I thought that that was like a really nuanced way uh, to approach this idea. And the sheriff brings it up as if it's, again, evidence like he is. <laughs> no, there's your proof right there. Or it's just like, again, these it's showing that these ideas are, are pretty antiquated. Yeah, the 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 way that everyone is able to, like, sit there and try to take these things and like, you you know, like I said, like, take this. Take this narrative, this queer narrative that one isn't actually there because the the coach, you know, has nothing to do with the crime except for it being his lover or his mm-hmm. uh, partner, you know, being dead. He has nothing to do with it. So, like, this queer narrative shouldn't even be there to begin with. But then also, like, the way that they are still willing to, like, use it to take pieces because at that point when uh, Auntie Cheryl is like, you know, yeah, he's a sick, sick man. Like, this is her at the time like you know like oh i'm so willing to let i'm gonna take this uh queer man take the fall for this because like oh yeah it's obvious um i don't agree with gay people either so like i'm totally fine with him taking you know being my scapegoat for this and like you know Mm -hmm. feeding into the the false narrative that's not there so it's 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 very unsettling like her her method in that way you know it's like very um emotionally intense but then like just uh and then the way that she is you know physically manipulating billy throughout the film as well is like so so unsettling like you know poisoning him through milk and like you know with this and like milk obviously like uh being symbolic of innocence and like when she decks out the attic it's like all of his like kids toys and stuff so it's like yeah yeah the her 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 manipulation of everything is like is just very very disturbing and especially like the scene like whenever he's like already kind of catatonic and she's like cradling him and like forcing him to like drink more milk and then she's like and she licks it off his neck 
Oh was yeah. Like, uh, like she I, is she is something else. God. I did had to I had to laugh though because Billy, who's about to go to this big important basketball game, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah, like no. where the where the scout is there. <laughs> She's like, Good luck at the game. Here's a tall glass of milk, and he downs this thing. And I'm like, dude, if the poison isn't gonna get you, those rumbly tumblies are. But no, he excels. <laughs> like this is like peak, you know, got milk kind of advertising here. <laughs> like I was just like, Oh man, talk about antiquated ideas. This idea that this kid's gonna drink like a pint of milk and just go uh like just completely tear up the court uh i thought that that was uh unintentionally very funny but i did want to note though devon because we've talked about this in the past uh that billy a terrific final girl he's does so well in this movie he you know he is because um he is very you know proactive and like you know and not only trying to make sure he's uh clearing his coach's name you know he's proactive Mm -hmm. in that way um, and he still, you know, is coming up with plans to investigate his aunt whenever he does start becoming suspicious. Um, you know, him and Julie, they have a solid plan. It just, you know, doesn't go uh, the way they want it to. And unfortunately, Julie gets a uh, meat malleted in the head. Um, Julie, also another great character. I like, um, you know, that, you know, she doesn't have a ton to do in the film. Um, but she also isn't just the relegated, um, you know, love interest, even though like, that's what Auntie Cheryl wants to keep portraying onto her, you know, calls her slut, yeah. slut many times throughout the film. Uh, when she's, uh, come here, slut it was hilarious. God, uh, the delivery, but, um, so, uh, Julie does, I, I really like the scene where she, um, totally clowns detective Carlson, Whenever uh, he's like coming and asking if they're fucking and all this shit to like, well, I need to know if you're fucking to confirm if he's a f bomb. I'm like, geez, God, I hate him, and she totally clowns him. So I, I, yeah. I like Julie as a character too. Yeah, and Billy also gets um, like some of the tropes and, and moments that you would expect to see with a, a, your typical final girl to where mm-hmm. he's got a sex scene, but he's also got a shower scene too. Sure so we, see his, we see his bare little butt. Like Damn, this is right. something that you would typically see uh, with, uh, with, with female characters as a final b- girl, but he gets his day in the sun. He gets his day in the shower, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we do love a, we do love a uh, male shower scene. Another uh, throw. Uh, throwback to uh song party masker uh, when we covered the remake uh, yeah that maybe the best uh shower scene that we've had <laughs> oh, in the slasher. That scene is so good maybe that the best so shower good. scene we've had in a slasher in a minute but uh but yeah i do love that um you know billy does take on these final girl roles like 100 mm-hmm. percent. and i mean he's very and you know it's like when he's shirtless too like i mean he he just looks very soft and shiny uh, and his hair is just, you know, perfectly quaffed all the time as well. Like, you know, he, he's definitely like very, um, androgynous of a, of a character. If I, if I say well, so Well, even myself. like, even like the poster, it, I, the po- yes. okay. So we kind of brought up the, the name of the movie. I, it doesn't I'm, make any sense. I'm glad you're bringing me. back to that. Cause I, I definitely <laughs> wanted to talk about this. I was just waiting for the time. <laughs> yeah. Same. And first of all, I don't, I don't understand the names of the movie. Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker makes absolutely no sense to what's happening. <laughs> Night so warning I, I, doesn't make I have any a, sense. I have a theory of the Butcher Baker one. Okay. Night warning, dog shit. Like, that sounds <laughs> like the worst Tom Clancy novel that you would pass at the airport. Like, no thank you. Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker, I think is is referring to the aunt, right? That she is butchering people, but she's also this, you know, 
familial motherly type of like baking, you know, like your mom's baking, <laughs> baking bread or whatever. Go on. Do. Uh, I, as I'm saying, I'm, I'm stretching here. I am like full like stretch Armstrong right here. Uh, but the, the butcher baker nightmare maker, like Devon had said, has also kind of got this nursery rhyme to it uh, kind of sense of, but she's also like creating nightmares because she murders people. I don't know. Okay. I don't like the title, but night warning <laughs> also sucks. Night warning is a, is a terrible oh, name. A like, what, what is night warning about? Like, what is that? Like, Ah, terrible. Night, Night warning is the TV show uh, continuation that William Asher would direct of this, uh, but uh, definitely a terrible name for the movie. Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. Like, yeah, I don't know if it's nursery rhyme it's a, to it's a play. Catchy title, but like it, yeah. it is catchy. Like, I'll give it that, and it, maybe for the adolescent, um, you know, vibe on the film as far as like you know, with the milk and her. Um, you yeah. know, not wanting to uh, let go of him and to like, you want to mother him forever. Apparently, yeah, you, um, it, Mama's Boy was another option, but then that would have given away the twist that Auntie Cheryl was actually his yeah. mother. So obviously I didn't go with that one. You were mentioning the poster. I'm looking here. The po- one of the posters for Night Warning features the the two lead characters running with like these looming eyes in the back. So this is for Night Warning. This is the tagline for Night Warning. And it, again, like what movie is this? It says they didn't go looking for trouble. They were just too curious. Now they know too much to live. It's like what? Like Wait. what is? <laughs> what is what? that? It's like the most generic shit I've ever seen. Like that could be the tagline for The Fugitive. Like what do you mean? Uh, but also, yeah, the the poster for Butcher Baker is kind of its own like Freudian uh, little uh, piece of art in and of itself. Well, it's so it, it has kind of going with the idea of um, Billy as, as the final girl. You have like this nude man up, up front and personal and around, hanging on to him is Julie, which is weird because she looks like, you know, she's ready to tempt him into like some kind of horrific thing. And then you have the knife, you know, covering his genitals and it's it's the eye of, of, of Cheryl instead of the eye of Saran. It's the eye of Cheryl. But it's it's such a weird poster because it it kind of suggests that like oh he's going to be sexually uh, tempted by some sexually promiscuous woman and what is going on here like it just it has such a erotic thriller kind of vibe to the poster that is not at all what's happening in the movie you know (laughs) I, i think the i think the poster for butcher baker nightmare maker I feel like does fit the tone of the movie a little bit yeah. because it is like, you know, he's like, you know, kind of torn between like, you know, he's again, like I, I think kind of playing on like the coming of age angle, but in a more sexualized manner of like, you know, he's got the girl, but then like, Oh, but that eye, that's not the girl's eye. Someone else is also looking at his junk and it's his aunt or his mom. Um, and yeah, because the, the, the poster for night warning just makes zero sense with that title and that tagline and that poster, like it does not sell this film like at all, like that makes zero sense. Yeah, the poster, the the one that actually was chosen, like, you know, this very painterly, hand-drawn uh, kind of image here. I'm a big fan of it. It also is reminiscent of the poster for Promenite, like the Jamie Lee Curtis. Mm. Something about 80s movies, having faces and knives was like a big thing. Uh, so, yeah, I do like this idea that we, we have this couple... Uh, this stern face on Billy's he is not into whatever is going on behind him (laughs) Uh, and then like this knife that looks like 
like it's almost kind of being pointed at him, but you have this idea of the reflection. So they're like, you know, coming towards him. So it's almost like a PIV of, of Auntie Cheryl go, like going towards him. So mm-hmm. yeah, I would I would say it's 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 a good poster. It fits the it fits the energy of the movie. It's not too tongue in cheek, but it's also got this kind of sexual uh, sexual energy to it. That title though, that's 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 got to go. Yeah, um, the I, I'm all about like you said, like a, a giant knife and a poster. Um, I'm definitely down for that. the The night warning, like one, like looks like a like album cover art for like uh, something in the '80s, which that would for be sure. great. Uh, night warning sounds like a great album title. Um, but like yeah, the weekend's newest album. You oh know? my like god! Could, Don't yeah, give him yeah. any ideas. <laughs> yep, like you heard it here first, people. Um, but yeah, so this movie, you know, for me overall, I again like it's a good time, but also not a good time because like the first half of the movie, when you are kind of going along, like it's like a little bit, you know, more on the campier side, and like I mean, actually, I mean, it's campy throughout, but it's like the funnier campy. And you're like, okay, this is fun, and then like as like again, like as Auntie Cheryl like really lets her villainous side come out and we see her true colors and see her unravel. Um, it becomes so much more uncomfortable as the film goes on. Um, mm-hmm. you know, coupled with that and just like, you know, how, you know, antagonistic the detective is as well. Like these two forces, like kind of coming in on Billy from both angles. Um, and Billy, a kid that like has done nothing wrong. Like he, this is not like, you know, um, they don't set him up as a protagonist as like someone that needs to learn a lesson or something. Um, no, right. like Billy is literally just trying to live his life. He wants to hang out with the girl that has the crush on him. He wants to play basketball and, you know, and he wants to be a fucking teenager. Like that's it. And he just like has these forces like coming in on both angles and it, it feels very just like upsetting as the film goes along so um for me um i'm going to give this uh four and a half out of five glasses of milk um, oh wow for for uh butcher baker nightmare maker i do think um the way that the story goes along is very fun and energetic um the movie has a tempo to it that i really like um, and again uh, susan tyrell's performance is just it's out of this world like it's like honestly nothing like um anything i've seen in a horror film like this is a truly like wonderful performance and uh does so so much well for the film and the film uh the way it handles its queer elements um i'm very impressed uh by it uh for this film that you know just uh didn't seem to catch on the way that it should have uh terry how many glasses of milk out of five are you giving this film Oh, I'm, I'm four and a half as well. I mean, I could almost give it five, but I'm four and a half. I, I think this movie is an anomaly. I love the fact that we have from in 1981, a movie that is tackling uh, queerness in society in a time when we're, I mean, we're right into the AIDS epidemic is about ready to rear its ugly head. And we're going to see a lot of movies in which the queer angle is, is kind of added a subtext. We're going to see like the vampire triptych of movies of Fright Night, Lost Boys and Near Dawn, which tackle kind of the otherness and, and queerness through the use of vampires. And we're going to have an Iron Elm Street 2 in which the the ultimate bad guy is homosexuality that must be thwarted with a kiss. Like we're going to have this movie, these kinds of movies going on in the eighties, but we're starting out that decade with a movie that is like, no, these, this is, this is queer people. This is what they're dealing with. This is the kind of pressure they're getting from society. So I think from that perspective, it works great. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, 
the two lead the two villains are are fantastic foils of each other because you have two different sort of like oppressive figures of of the of Cheryl and also Carlson who have different you know goals and aims for for the poor kid and ultimately though it's not Cheryl that's the ultimate villain she gets killed and then the ultimate villain becomes homophobia represented in Carlson like that is the ultimate villain in this he's the one that gets the the final death scene and so I think there's a lot going on here that is surprising um in the movie of then let alone of any kind of decade I so I just I, I love this movie a whole lot so yeah four and a half I think yeah this film is is uh hearing you talk about the the movie it did just kind of remind me of this idea where, like we were discussing with the sheriff of like he's got this really convoluted plan and as much as I love near dark and other things like this it's 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 funny that as the decade went on it's tackling this idea of homosexuality but through quite a complicated metaphor and using creatures and and you know all of these darker ideas to explore this idea almost kind of in disguise to whereas this it's just like oh it's about a gay kid like that's also pretty simple too and it just kind of reminds me of the the how the sheriff conducts his police work mm. in this movie but like i said up top this movie was just very surprising for me uh with the level of nuance that it has um and i just found it to be a very mature um unique uh portrayal of this idea i'd say like as far as just big picture stylistic negative stuff william asher feels like the, like a journeyman director where oh, he's just absolutely. kind of like we need to finish a job you can you know if speed is the issue we need to get this done as quickly as we can i think it's a shame because the 1980s really are a decade where horror feels so uh, specific stylistically and i think that this film is kind of lacking a stylistic identity and at times it just gets a little is it camp is it not you know it, it starts to feel a little confused and i almost would have wished I, it's probably like just wasn't able to happen but william asher having this this uh history in this uh sitcom television with i love lucy and bewitch like devon had said i would have loved for him to lean into that even further and to really push this idea of the nuclear family you know and and everything is is you know the little house on the prairie here and i love lucy and sunshine and rainbows that would have been really interesting but with the 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 subject matter would have been just very unsettling kind of dick van dyke but with murder and blood you know that could have been fascinating but i i will uh, say that it's like it's good enough stylistically so it gets a pass but it's just it feels a little disjointed there and i think what could have been could have been really cool all that being said really really enjoyed this one so for me i am at uh four full glasses of, of milk out of five right before my basketball game hey four we got two fours and a four and a half out of out of five, these are uh, pretty high marks, and I, and I probably would take a little more style too. Uh, the I will say we um, only mentioned it briefly, but the uh, the car car accident at the beginning is definitely that a five, car accident. That's a five out of five car accident right there. The, uh, the, <laughs> the way that is staged, where it just it keeps going. When you think it's going to end, it just keeps amazing. going. The swerves, it, yeah. the fact that the fact that it crashes into the the logging truck, and then the logging truck throws it off the side of the cliff. Yeah, and it goes over another cliff and then lands in a pond and then waits like five or six seconds before yes. it finally explodes yes like it's like what is this gonna end it's yeah so such such great comedic timing on the explosion i was a huge uh, fan of that it like like you said it lands and then it sits there for a beat and then it explodes huge fan of that that was great no notes on the car crash of course <laughs> i mean i love i love a good shot of you know they sent that car off the cliff you know they only got one go at that uh getting oh, yeah. that shot and it was uh gorgeous so uh thank them for that but uh let's uh get into our last segment of the show 
So here at the Bloody Blunt Cinema Club, we like to do a little fun game called Movie Math. It's pretty simple, Terry. You just take a couple of movies. You can add them together, multiply them, divide, subtract, whatever your little heart desires, all of which it just has to equal the movie that we talked about today. You can be as simple or as complicated as you would like it to be. So, Terry, what are the movies that you have in your equation? Okay, so I struggled with this one because I think this movie is unclassifiable. I I can't. uh, There's a lot of things that maybe you could pick out in terms of what it's kind of doing with other films but I, I i don't know this movie is just is wild so i have in one parenthetical i have nightmare on street 2 because the both of them tackle like queerness in, in in different ways plus blood rage i don't know if either of you have seen blood rage but the <laughs> the main character played by louis lasser in in blood rage and and tyrell would just have a I would love to see them go on like a girl's trip. So I think that is in one parenthetical, <laughs> the two of them, plus uh, in another parenthetical, Mrs. Voorhees divided by Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. Oh, we have a character in this one. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have heard of Blood Rage Terry because it is also in my equation. Uh, this movie <laughs> is definitely giving Blood Rage. Um, I have a tradition um, on Thanksgiving that I've done the past few years is I just put Blood Rage on a loop and uh, watch it as many times as I can. Uh, I get other people to watch it throughout the day. So good. Um, it's uh, such a fun movie, and it uh, very much uh, the vibes with you know the way that the mother and uh, the son, um, you know, incestuous vibes um, are there. Except you know it, it's in on the reverse side with um, Auntie Cheryl instead of um, the homicidal son. Um, and I have, uh, so, and, and just the, the aesthetic itself as well. Um, I wish it, I mean, I wish it had the score that blood rage has. Jeez, that score goes so fucking hard. Um, but, uh, but the campy, uh, comedic timing of it, uh, matches up very well with blood rage. Um, so I have that, um, added, uh, with black swan, um, as far as, you know, the very specific relationship of, you know, like, um, you know, Billy is, you know, has this opportunity to get a scholarship to go away to college for basketball. And uh, Auntie Cheryl, you know, instead of really uh, embracing it and, you know, being happy for him and like, you know, wanting that to be how he succeeds, you know, she is threatened by it, you know, and gets scared of it. And um, in a similar way that the mother does in Black Swan, because, I mean, she does push um, her character uh, does push Nina to like, you know, be a dancer and all these things, but like also to like, you know, not get too confident, you know, like, Hey, don't, don't get too, you know, if you get too good, you know, then you might leave me and like, you might get, you know, too mature, like, Oh, don't fall in love or have sex because then you might leave me. Um, so I kind of saw elements of that. So I have those in parentheses and I have that divided by psycho two. Um, <laughs> cause, um, in psycho two, uh, that's when Norman, um, is, um, a little bit, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't call him a hero by any means, but, um, it kind of tricks you into thinking he's going to be for a minute. And then of course, um, he's Norman and that's not happening. Um, so I have it dividing that, uh, since it is also still, you know, kind of the, uh, inverse where it's, uh, not the son having these, um, you know, delusional thoughts and, uh, but still with the, incestuous family vibe so uh yeah and psycho 2 underrated 
Uh, I just did want to comment before we moved on. I love the idea that Devon's house is like, you know how like on Christmas, they play like a Christmas story from TBS like all day long and it's the worst thing in the world. I love Devon's house on Thanksgiving. You're just playing Blood Rage all day and people come over. They're like, I've got I've got yams. And you're just like, hold on. I love this part. Shut up. You know, you say (laughs) you say, hey, you got yams, but that's not cranberry sauce. That's what you tell them. Uh, You get you need to watch it, Garrett. Yeah. Definitely need to check that one out. What's your your equation looking like? So my equation, uh, I had one that was mentioned earlier in the show. Don't know if you guys have seen it, but uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane uh, is an excellent movie. Um, I, For a very obvious reasons of this familial uh, dynamic of, of moving on and the fear of that and this idea of success and becoming more successful and how that affects, you know, uh, your your upbringing and your perception of one another. So that idea was, was very interesting to me, but also an element of that movie is some very loud, very over-the-top performances especially from Betty Davis. So that kind of flavor was in this movie for sure. Um, I added the first Psycho. uh, Devon and I went in similar directions, but I had this kind of coded is he is he not of of uh, anthony daniels in that film or not anthony daniels um anthony perkins excuse me of uh is is he a queer character is he not it's it's kind of mysterious um you have that uh angle of course but also the idea of the the overbearing mother and that how that affects someone's perception of the sel- themselves and also you have a character like norman bates in that film who is who was raised by just by his mom and he is you know how does that affect that relationship too uh and then i multiplied that for carrie for a few reasons i wish i could say like half of carrie because although this film doesn't really have any supernatural elements that is also a film of generational uh, uh, change and how carrie's mom is afraid that carrie is going to 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 leave her if she goes out and experiences things and and has uh and dates people and you know uh commits in all this quote-unquote kind of sin and be left like her her father eventually uh left her so definitely kind of an uh like aesthetic but also not quite because it's not super paranormal and also Carrie is very stylistic where this film isn't so I'm like kind of cherry picking <laughs> portions of Carrie that I, I think I find throughout this movie but I think uh, I think you're absolutely right Terry this is a very unique kind of oddity in a movie and although you can see kind of shades of this in other film it is really kind of a, a movie ended up uh, you know of, 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 of its own and it doesn't really have that many similar qualities with with a few other films out there. Yeah, this uh this movie it's uh, definitely something and even though it's not paranormal, I definitely maybe could have taken some more of uh that kind of De Palma kind of style in this. Like mm-hmm. I think could have been um fun with the if the camera just had like a little bit more like fun movements and like kind of played on more of the the psychological like unraveling of Auntie Cheryl. More um, split screen and split diopter, baby. That's oh, what this movie's yeah. missing. <laughs> Can you imagine if Jean Dubon did did film the entire movie? Though? Exactly. Oh, that would have looked. Exactly. Yeah. Like if he would have stayed on, but still uh, with William Asher, I think that could have been a lot of fun. And give me a, a split screen of um of Billy's ass on one side and then Cheryl's face. And like when she's, <laughs> she the way that she like winks and like licks her lips and ugh. It would have been so gross but um this movie was so fun and thank you for bringing it terry and uh so happy to have you on finally thank you so much um where can the the people find you and uh, your podcast tell them about scarred for life sure well thank you for having me on um i i really appreciate it i've been i've been wanting to get on for for some time so i'm glad we finally got, got it to work out 
Um, okay, so where you can find me is at on Twitter and Instagram, mostly on Twitter at Gaily Dreadful. Um, you can also follow my my podcast on that I co-host with Mary Beth McAndrews on Twitter at Scarred Podcast. Scarred for Life is um, the podcast where we talk to people about the movie that traumatized them as a child. And so we kind of dig into <laughs> that kind of child trauma aspect of it. And we talk to a lot of people in the horror community and a lot of filmmakers. Uh, so yeah, go check that out. And then um if you can please donate to gaily helpful to help the trans law center that'd be great again i will have uh links for uh the donation um for gaily helpful in the show notes so make sure um to check that out and uh help out if you can um yes thank you so much terry um garrett what are you working on right now oh you guys could find me at the same old same old places uh i'm at twitter youtube uh tiktok as well as well as letterbox at garrett mcdowell i just published a new uh review on tiktok of Lightyear, but i've also got some thoughts on the black phone coming up and uh, from what i've seen i am in the minority of how i feel about that film very much so so if you guys want to see some uh, more thoughts <laughs> on that uh, if you want some more podcast goodness you can uh, hit us up at the scum and villainy podcast it's a star wars podcast we'd love to have you uh, but until then, uh, yeah, you can just find me on Twitter just talking about nonsense, as always. <laughs> same, same. You can always find me on Twitter uh, talking my movie shit at underscore daddy disco. Also doing stuff on Instagram. Uh, got some uh, video clips of some things I'll be sharing here soon. Um, and um, yeah, but and of course, if you guys are listening to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five star review. That would be real nice of you. It'd be real sweet. Helps us, uh, you know, get more listeners and end up on some charts and things like that. Um, what is coming up next week on the show? Um, we are closing out our Pride coverage. Um, with uh, the third first time watch for me in a row. Um, as far as episodes go, um, we're gonna be talking interview with a vampire. And um, I have not seen it. Um, I've seen lots of vampire movies. I've seen lots of queer movies. Have not seen this one, so I'm excited. Yes, very excited to see that one. Uh, a guest still pending. We're trying to get some scheduling stuff out for that. But I'm also prepare, uh, pre- you know, prepared just to dive on into that movie with you, Devon. So I hope we have a guest. But if 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 not, uh, you and I will be waging through the the <laughs> the splendor that is going to be interview with the vampire. Hey, we can't we can't get through uh, the end of Pride Month without a little chaos at the end. So who knows what <laughs> might happen? We might have a guest, might not. We'll we'll see what happens next week. But that'll go ahead and do it for this week's episode of the Blade Blunt Cinema Club. New episodes drop every Tuesday, so make sure you're subscribed and do not miss an episode. You can follow us on social media at Bloody Blunts Pod on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time, guys, stay lifted. <laughs>